to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we'll be speaking about some new lease standards that are coming out and uh, some implementation guidance. It's a very big effort, so we brought in uh, Alan Perry from FaceAB and Christy Dewhurst from GSA, and uh, I think they'll address all the questions you all may have about this. So uh, this is a very interesting uh podcast. I think you guys will learn a lot. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about leases, all about leases. So I think every federal agency has some of these and uh, there's a big standard that's out. Uh, It's not ready to implement yet, but that's exactly why we have our guests here today. So we have Alan Perry from FaceAB and Christy Dewhurst from GSA. So why don't we start off with Alan? Please introduce yourself. Well, thanks for having me today. Um, my name is Alan. I'm a senior analyst with um, FaceAB, and I'm the project manager uh, on the leases area. Okay, and Christy. Thank you. We appreciate the chance to be here today. Um, again, my name is Christy Dewhurst. I'm a financial analyst at GSA most of the time, um, but this year I am on a fellowship over with FaceAB to help Alan with the implementation guidance and work on this week's project. Great. Well, thanks to you both for joining us today. And uh, leases is definitely subject of interest to me. I've, I've worked a lot with leases over the years with uh, government uh, customers and as a Fed as well when I was uh, early days. So very interesting. And this is a big change. So I want maybe... Um, if Alan, if you could please kind of just kind of take us back and uh, give us an overview again of what SFAS 54 is, is doing. What, what, what is the change that we're, we're anticipating here for, for leases? Sure, Paul. So, well, first of all, I'll, I guess I'll start off with the bad news, which is SFAS 54 is probably the most significant change to federal accounting. Um, in, in recent history in the last 10 or 15 years. So it's a major change. Um, and what it's doing is a lot, leases are essentially uh, financing instruments. And um, a lot of the financing of these capital assets are basically off the balance sheet right now. Um, I think even Leah uh, at, at GSA, they have, thousands of leases, but only a handful of them show up on the balance sheet as capital leases right now. So what SFAS 54 does is essentially redefines the lease as the right to use an underlying asset and access those economic benefits derived from those underlying assets and puts that on the balance sheet as like a sort of an economic resource. And as, as well as having a um, corresponding lease liability based on the discounted cash flows of those future, uh, typically, rent payments. Um, so it's it's a major change. The balance sheets are going to look basically a lot different under SFS 54. Um, and leases are going to be <clears throat> treated a little bit more consistently now. Um, rather than having those like four bright line rules that we sort of have right now, um, those are going to sort of go away and we're going to have more of a sort of a logical um, way of classifying leases under SFAS 54. Is there anything you think I missed, Christy, in terms of major um, changes? I think that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, I think you captured everything, Major Allen. The only thing I would add to that is that the budgetary scoring impact is not changing. So the rules that govern, you know, what what funded liabilities you put on the books from the OMB side, that's not changing. So the, this change just affects the proprietary account outside of the house. So we're talking about unfunded liabilities that you'll be putting on the balance sheet with SF 54. Right, and I guess a couple, a couple. I had that in my notes to mention. I forgot. <laughs> right, and just a couple little follow-ups on on the specifics here. Um, you know, I, I guess what was one of the major drivers to make the change? I mean, I think this is kind of how FASB and GASB and some of these other organizations—that's the standards that they're they've kind of moved to as well for leases. Is that correct? Um, correct. That's par- partially why. Um, it, it really has to. It really has to do with, in my opinion. I mean, this is. And I should actually clarify this before we get too much further. All the opinions that Christy and I are mentioning today are our own and not really the board's. I think we, you know, try to assume what the board meant a lot of times when we answer these questions. And we're somewhat familiar with what the board's intent was, but we're really just here speaking on behalf of ourselves. Um, but in this in this case, um, historically, ASAB standards five and six which are on um, liabilities of PP&E. Those, sta- those statements um, basically just cross-referenced over to the FASB um, standards. Um, and the, the board never really undertook a project to address the nuances of federal leases and different types of issues that were encountered there. So when FASB mo- made a move to update their lease standards, Gasby was also making a move to update theirs, and I wasn't uh, a staff member of FaceApp at the time, but I, I'm, I'm sort of aware of the history, and I know that the board made the decision to sort of, um, you know, they had multiple paths they could take. They could sort of do things independently. They could try to mirror Gasby, um, but ultimately the board ended up deciding to mirror Gasby, and obviously there's some differences between ASAP and Gatsby and their leases standards, but it, they're really pretty consistent for the most part. Okay, yeah, and I also found it interesting that you know this standard, uh, how it treats intergov- intergovernmental leases, and you know, uh, in scenarios where you have multi-component contracts. So, any want to comment a little bit on that? Sure. So, the the intergovernmental leases is something that really Gatsby doesn't have to worry about um, in their context because all these state and local governments don't roll up into one consolidated financial statement. So the board ended up deciding that treating intergovernmental leases and just sort of um, the the accounting treatment for those types of leases is different under SPAS 54. So you don't have a lease asset, lease liability with those. Um, And the board decided to introduce that practical expedient into the standard because a lot of agencies simply have intergovernmental leases. So SPS 54 will still be a change, but it won't be quite as heavy of a list. Um, And that will sort of end up um, benefiting the federal government as a whole because all those lease assets and lease liabilities um, to one another will end up getting eliminated anyway. Um, So that's the primary reason why intergovernmental leases are um, different. And the, the multiple component contract issue, and these are all 
um, just so everybody's aware, um, SPS 54 is broken up into topic areas. And the topic areas, it, it's almost broken up in such a way that the first time you read the standard, you pretty much do need to read it from cover to cover, and it will, it'll make sense after you study it for a while. So the multiple component contract is sort of a miscellaneous area where you, you know, there's only a certain number of leases that um, will fall under this. But if you have a multi-component contract, sometimes you'll have a lease component to that contract and a non-lease component. So for example, if you're renting a building, but then you also have a service component for like maintenance services or janitorial services or, um, you know, some other type of service that that you're dealing with associated with the same asset. So <clears throat> technically the janitorial services are not a lease because the underlying asset is really not not the building itself. It's really just the service being provided. So for that for that piece of it, you parse that out and don't account for that as a lease. But SBS 54 does have a practical expedient there too. Because sometimes contracts and agreements don't spell out the pricing or the pricing components for the service and non-service lease component don't make sense when you when you read the, the the contract because maybe one component was discounted but the other one wasn't or just the pricing is off. So in situations like that, if you can't determine a re reasonable pricing and assign reasonable pricing to multiple, multiple components within a contract, um, you can account for the entire contract as a lease component. Um, so it gives a agencies a little bit of flexibility to make that decision. I think as long as you document that decision and your reasoning behind it um, in, your, in your working papers, um, then you should be okay in most situations of an audit. Um, so yeah, th those are just examples of some nuances in SFAS 54. There's many more. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, but so one thing though, you know, SFAS 54 is already written. So, but we, you know, it actually has been deferred. I was just kind of curious, you know, why did you all decide to defer it? That's a great question. So <laughs> I just, I think it's kind of funny, but it's not just us that's deferring it. Everybody's deferring the lease standard. I think, to be honest with you, and this is just my opinion, but I think that all of the different accounting standard setters, um, including FaceApp, but also FASB and GASB, I don't think everybody quite appreciated how difficult it is to implement these new standards and how time-consuming it is, from a system, particularly from a systems development perspective for agencies with larger lease portfolios. Um, we did have a small group of agencies and the federal government when we did some outreach that that were ready to implement SPS 54 on time, or at least so they claimed. Um, and and I, I take their word for it. But um, for the most part, folks were telling us that they needed another two or three years um, for implementing this, the standard. So and we actually found this out because when, when I was hired by FaceTab, they, they hired me and they were, they wanted me to work on the implementation piece. So what, I got an implementation task force together. And in the first couple of meetings, I was starting to get a sense that people really just weren't ready. So I, um, I ended up doing these, 
and we sent them out to only a handful of the major leaseholding agencies. And we, we basically asked them to fill out this little survey and it's like a progress report. And I don't even remember what the categories were, but they were like, they had to, they had to classify whether their like policies and procedures were, um, were ready for the standard or where they were like, where they running behind on updating those, were their systems ready, were their people trained. And they had to basically categorize each of these categories as whether or not they were likely to be ready on time and were likely or not to affect the audit opinion. And we found out that there was a lot of risk um, of having that um, statement 54 go into effect on time. And, and I, I don't view the FF 54, it's, it's the board intended it for it to be um, an improvement in financial reporting, but they don't, they didn't really want it to be, you know, implemented as soon as possible and have everybody's audit opinion um, go out the window. So um, the board ended up deciding to defer it for three years. And um, we think that that will get even some of the, um, or most of the major leaseholders in the federal government on track to be able to report on time without any um, significant effects on their audit. Although I wouldn't be surprised if there's you know, significant deficiencies or something like that. I mean, it's it's difficult standard to implement, so. Right. So, so the, we're now looking at fiscal year, fiscal year 2024 now for implementation, whereas before um, it would be would have been fiscal year 2021. So we would already um, be, be started on it. OK. Yeah. And in the meantime, it sounds like well, the implementation guidance is, is out there for comment as well. Maybe give us a little bit of uh, information on the implementation guidance. <clears throat> I'm, I love these sequence of questions because I actually that actually reminds me to complete my answer to the previous question. <laughs> Another reason why we had to defer was because agencies needed time. So under the current project plan for this implementation guidance, the, the implementation guidance is going to be finalized towards the end of fiscal year 2021. Well, agencies need time to digest that and incorporate tweaks into their systems changes uh, when, when the implementation guidance is final. So, Deferring SPF 54 will allow agencies a couple of years to have that final implementation guidance in their back pocket to use when they're making decisions about, you know, updating their policies and procedures and their systems. Um, so that'll be helpful. Um, but yeah, right now we have a, what is what we call what Christy and I call a joint exposure draft out for public comment right now. Um, so it's out there, and it's a 95-day it's a comment period. It's typically 90 days, but I've, it's such a long document that I've baked in an extra five days for folks. <laughs> um, so what it's proposing is it's proposing some omnibus amendments to SPF 54. Most of those amendments, I think there's – I don't have it right in front of me, but I think there's about 15 or 16 small amendments to SPF 54. Most of these are clarifying amendments. But there are also a few proposed rescissions of disclosure requirements in there that should help agencies with implementation. Um, some of the, some of those disclosure requirements, upon further research, we figured out were were pretty much necessary. We weren't sure that they were going to end up yielding useful information anyway, and some of them were almost unworkable um, <laughs> to come up with. So we're proposing those, um, and. That's one piece of it. So we have the omnibus amendments, and that will come out as a SBAS or a statement. 
of accounting standards. And then we have another piece, which is like level C gap on the hierarchy, which is implementation guidance. And that's the major, that's the major bulk of this joint exposure draft. We have 99 questions and answers organized by SBAC 54 topic area. And this is just helping folks with all sorts of issues, like definitional issues, random situation, situational issues that um, folks needed help on. We basically crowdsource these implementation questions and answers. So a big chunk of them were from GASB. GASB got some questions that <clears throat> were um, applicable to the federal government, too. So we... Um, we leverage those. We, some, uh, you know, oftentimes we would rewrite the GASB questions and answers because uh, the state and local situations differ from the federal. But then another probably one third or forty percent of the questions and answers are unique to the federal environment. They're like questions that we received from our task force or the Accounting and Auditing Policy Committee that um, that folks thought were needed in order to <clears throat> basically. Um, help folks implement the standard because it, it's really difficult to implement SFAS 54 without having an appreciation of some of these nuances. So the answers are pretty clear if you know how to do your research, but if you don't know how to do your research, or it, it can be a little bit challenging. So sometimes you need to have SFAS 54 open while you have open SFAS 44 or SFAS 4, and it's just a lot to it's a lot to really be able to figure out, um, especially in year one. So we want to be able to point folks in the right direction with these implementation guidance proposals. Uh, the implementation guidance does not change the accounting standards. It's just an interpretation, basically, or um, clarifying how to implement those standards. Um, so what we really want, and um, the upside from my perspective of really doing this podcast is to hopefully encourage folks to um, really pay attention to this implementation guidance proposal, go through it with your teams in detail, have the right people in the room and provide us some feedback. Um, we'd love to have as many comment letters as possible. I'm hoping that we get at least 50. Um, so, and we're, we're, we release this as a joint exposure draft to save people time. We don't want to do two separate exposure drafts and ask people to write two different letters. You can just do one comment letter to address both proposals, and you can say what you agree with, what you disagree with, or whatever tweaks you want. Um, so we would really appreciate that um, from folks um, that might be interested, or you know, for the folks listening to this podcast, if you're not, you know, the person responsible for writing the comment letter, you know, just pass the information along to those that you work with, and um, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure you'll get plenty of comments. I know so many people out there that work with leases in the government, and it's a very complex issue. So, so actually, speaking of that, so I like to talk to Christy here and get some thoughts. Um, so let's say you know the implementation guidance is complete. We've got all our comments. You know, can you give us from maybe from an agency perspective, um, and it could be GSA with with a huge portfolio, or it could be an agency with less, you know, a slightly less complex portfolio, but you know, Christy, what would you say are some major things that agencies really need to do to prepare themselves to implement something like this? Sure. Thanks, Paul. Um, the first thing I would say is to become very familiar with SFAS 54 and the implementation guidance. Definitely spend some time reading the standard, reading the implementation guide, 
getting familiar with what's required and then thinking about it in terms of your portfolio that you're working with. Um, the next step, I would say, is to determine how your agency is going to implement the standard, meaning if you're an agency with a large lease portfolio, are there systems automation things that you need to be working on? Do you need to get this automated in your financial system? If you have a small portfolio, perhaps you can do it manually, but that's a very important distinction to make early on in the process. Um, honestly, if, you, if your agency hasn't figured that out now, I would suggest that to be priority number one is figure out how exactly you're going to do the implementation. Um, obviously, if it's systems and there's automation needed, you need to get started on that immediately. Um, we all know that takes quite a bit of time to implement, so the earlier the better on that. Um, even if it's manual, there's a lot that is going to go into it. Um, as Alan already mentioned, it's a very complex standard with a lot of moving parts. So as you think about it in terms of the kind of leases you have, the kind of um, nuances to your leases, perhaps if they have incentives or concessions, the multi-component, you know, what exactly you're dealing with, um, the intricacies of that will require sometimes policies that need to go into effect or steps. You know, you might want to create some kind of at least an SOP within your agency of how you're going to do this, how you're going to make those accounting entries that are necessary. Um, implementing in three years, the sooner you get that done, the more prepared you'll be and the, the smoother your implementation will go. I think it's critical that we do all that early on because once you're actually kind of in the weeds trying to write a document like that and spell out exactly what process you're going to do, you may notice areas where you're either confused, you have a question, something doesn't make sense to you, um, and you would have time to reach back out to us either through the comment letter process or separately reaching out to Alan or myself and we can help you with those questions and make sure you get all that resolved prior to implementation. You know, the last thing you want is for it to be um, the beginning of FY24 and you're just realizing that you have problems and you don't know how to implement. So we want to make sure you get prepared as, as prepared as possible early on. Um, another thing I would recommend is making sure that you have all of the necessary data that you're going to need in a system or a database some, some way that you can get your arms around it. So depending, again, on the size of your lease portfolio, the complexity, the magnitude, you're going to have to have a way to capture the dollars and the amount of time and, you know, things like the lease term, the lease payment amount, what that lease payment is for, you know, if it's multi-component, that sort of thing. Um, if you don't have that today, you need to think about how to capture that and start doing it as soon as possible. I would highly recommend that um, if you don't already have a system or a database to capture that. If you're, you know, reading manual documents and someone's making an accounting entry, you're going to want to figure out a way to have a better control process um, and a way to see all of your leases in one place at one time. So I would highly recommend that people start looking at that, at, you know, right now during FY21 and get those things in place so that you're ready when we are making this major change. Um, also, I would recommend developing internal controls to monitor and make sure things are working correctly once we do get going. Um, again, even though implementation is a ways out, it's going to be here before we know it. And if you can sit down today and start thinking through how you need to monitor what you're putting in place, that will really go a long way toward making it a successful transition for you. So I would highly recommend trying to develop what kind of internal controls you're going to need any reports you can get started today, 
um, to have it ready, and that's going to go a long way toward audit readiness as well, to give you a smooth transition and make sure you can stand up to an audit, is kind of thinking through those things early, as early as possible, and getting as much in place before FY24 as you can. Right, and I guess depending on the size of the agency, the, the effort is bigger or smaller, obviously, but I mean, everybody should at least have a plan, a plan of attack, maybe a small little or a bigger group of people to kind of put, yeah, go have a project plan, have a, you know, goals, deadlines, policy, you know, things you're going to look at, things you might need to change. Um, and then speaking of that, maybe I'll, I'll stick with you, Christy, for a minute here. You know, you're over for, from GSA. You know, how, how is this um, implementation going to affect agencies like GSA or State Department, DOD, you know, agencies that have huge, you know, huge portfolios of leases and they're, you know, uh, I guess what's the impact? Is it just a lot of time, more time than the smaller agencies or even, or is there more to it? Um, I think there's even more to it than that. Honestly, I mean, agencies with significant lease portfolios, um, like those you mentioned, GSA, DOD, State, Interior, Energy, you know, there's a lot with quite significant lease portfolios. It's the amount of time that goes into that project plan, how much detail is needed, um, what kind of internal controls are needed. It's also going to be cost, um, things like developing systems enhancements. You know, for agencies that have a large lease portfolio, I think most, if not all of them, are going to require systems changes, either new systems or enhancements to their existing systems to be able to automate what's necessary to record the proper accounting transactions. Um, speaking from GSA's perspective, They've done, we've done initial estimates of what it might look like upon implementation. And, you know, just from the property side, so the building leases that DSA has, not even looking at the personal property vehicles and all of that, which is a whole other area that's also large. But just from the building side, DSA currently has about 8,000 active leases. And the initial estimates indicate that at implementation, at least 6,000 of those would need to use this right to use lease accounting treatment. Um, and as time goes on, it, the number will actually increase to be almost the entire portfolio. Um, it's just and it's a little less because of the nuances of implementation and the lease term determination. But those estimates that DSA has looked at, um, the net present value of the lease payment, the increase would be over $20 billion for GSA. So obviously a huge magnitude of dollars. That would be added to the assets and long-term unfunded liabilities as of implementation. And just for some perspective, that's about a 50% increase in GSA's total assets and about 250% increase to liabilities. So it's a huge, huge material change for conservative side, honestly. So it's a big change. And to do something of that magnitude, you know, you are going to have systems enhancement costs, the, the dollars associated with that, as well as the people, the time and energy into coming up with those, like what changes you need, verifying that with your systems folks, going through testing, you know, we're talking quite a bit, you know, for large agencies, you probably have a team of people working on this nearly full time for the next several years to get everything ready. Um, for agencies with smaller lease portfolios, it may not be as large of an impact. But I still think you probably have at least one or two people really spending a lot of time on this over the next few years to make sure you've got it, you've, you've thought everything through, you know, and you've got your policies in place because um, it really is very significant. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's a, um, go ahead, Al. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, there's 
I, and I think but what, what Christy means by that is you, you have one or two people basically with an overarching high-level view of the process, but it involves like a lot of people across the agency and different divisions and things like that. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and I wanted to jump back just real quick um, to some of the things that folks need to do to prepare for this. Um, Christy hit on like 99 out of 100 of them. <laughs> but, but the one thing I wanted to emphasize that she didn't directly mention was um, embedded leases. Um, so we're, we're used to this idea that like building space um, or maybe like copy machines and um, equipment can be leased, right? But the definition of a lease is changing. So we're not operating leases, capital leases. Those are in the financial reporting context, the proprietary accounting. Those those words don't exist anymore. So just or, or they won't exist once fiscal year twenty twenty four comes around. So drop those from your plan to drop those from your vocabulary. <laughs> now we're just having basically right to use leases, or right to use asset leases. And then we also are going to have intergovernmental and short-term leases. But um, a lot of the things that fall under this new lease definition are going to be things that are embedded in contracts that you might not have thought were really a lease before. So, um, I mean, and there are a lot of things. I, I can mention a few examples. Um, it could be like an, uh, uh, an easement could be a lease. Um, an easement might also not be a lease. <laughs> Depends on whether or not it's there's consideration involved, and whether or not it's uh, indefinite or if it's for a period of time. Um, but an easement could be a lease. Uh, oil and gas leases will fall under this. Um, and then um, now there's other things too that are just like the most random things ever that you would think of, like um, gra grazing licenses. Um, would meet the definition of police, I think. So <laughs> there, there's there's all kinds of things that you need to look for in your contracts. It's not like a matter of just going to the quote-unquote filing cabinet and looking at your old leases. You, know, you need to basically look at um, look at all of your contracts. I mean, not necessarily all of your contracts, but any contract that might have an embedded lease, um, you would need to take a look at. So that's something that's very, very time consuming, but it's not something that you'll have to do, um, you know, every year. It's just the heavy lift is for implementation. And then going forward, you would just, you know, review your new contracts or your, um, your contract amendments. Right. Yeah, I'm starting to see why we have three years to implement here. <laughs> um, so just a couple more questions for you here. Um, I, and Alan, maybe you can leave this one uh, just to kind of give a little. Christy talked about the impact on the agencies just to get this done. Maybe just a little bit more about the impact on financial reporting itself. You know, the agencies, assets and liabilities, how, the, how it's going to change that. Also, you know, how it's going to change audits, you know, so auditors have to get smart on these standards too, and start knowing what to, what to, you know, sample and, you know, how, how to make decisions on what they're seeing out there. So maybe just a little bit about the reporting and audit impact would be great. Oh, uh, I would love to talk about that because I come from audit. I was with GAO and auditor for seven years. So um, for, uh, for agencies, for audit, for auditors that audit agencies with significant lease portfolios or 
just moderate size or small lease portfolios, your your audit plan is going to completely change. Your materiality bases are going to completely change, which is going to completely change your audit approach. So just think about what GSA was saying, or um, Christy was saying about GSA just a few minutes ago. Your total assets are going to increase 50%, and their liabilities are going to increase 250%. So maybe historically, GSA, and I, I don't know, I'm just, you know, just brainstorming here basically on the, on the fly, but maybe GSA's auditor historically used a percentage of total assets for their materiality base. And maybe it was like 3% of total assets, right? Well, now that total assets are basically skyrocketing, are you going to still use 3% of total assets for your materiality base when you're auditing GSA's statement of net cost? Probably not. You're probably going to have to have more than one materiality base in certain situations, or there might be other ways that you'll you know, do your materiality calculations to figure out how to approach the audit so that you can make sure all the accounts aren't like materially misstated, right? So um, it really affects everything from the beginning to the very end of the audit, everything in between. So um, I would encourage agencies to, and their auditors to start discussing these things at least, I would say, two years in advance, right? Because you're, it's, it's, way, it's way too much of a lift, on it, especially on large audits, to figure all this stuff out the year of the audit. Like if you're going to try to do all of the planning for the lease accounting changes during the planning phase, good luck. <laughs> you probably need to start the planning. I, I would say if I was GSA's auditor, I would probably do it two years in advance, maybe not, you know, just so it's not such a heavy lift and then break it out, you know, do a little bit more in the planning phase of the year before, this year 2023. And then in 2024, whatever you haven't finished yet, you'll probably still wish you had done more before. So um, I would definitely, you know, try to do it, uh, do your audit readiness stuff in phases and probably try to break it up over three years for um, the audit. That's what I would advise. Um, and it's just, it, it would sort of, it's going to be a lot, but folks will figure it out. <laughs> Great. Well, and just one last question, and we'll wrap it up here. Um, maybe I'll ask Alan, and then maybe Christy, you can wrap it up with a final word of encouragement here for agencies. But um, so, Alan, um, you know, what are the immediate next steps here? I guess the night, you know, the ninety-five day public comment period, and then what happens after that? Um, so the comments on the implementation guidance proposals are all due on uh, February fifth, I believe. Um, so, yeah, we're really encouraging folks to submit a comment. You can, um, if, whether you're an auditor, a member of the public, or an agency, um, anybody can submit these for comment, and um, staff and board will read all the comments and consider those. Um, and then um, we're, we're expecting final issuance around, Christy, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it going to be hopefully sometime around the fourth quarter? of fiscal year 2021 um, that we're hoping to get that done. Okay. Yeah. And then there's other, and then another sort of next step for folks is if your list isn't long enough, (laughs) keep monitoring the leases project because we're, we're, we, we're going to issue this implementation guidance, but there's also a possibility that we'll issue um, an expose for public comment, uh, potentially an interpretation or two of SFS 54 for certain situations. Um, we're, 
currently researching um, reimbursable work authorizations um, and potentially doing an interpretation for those. Um, there might be other topics that we'll do interpretations for. We might um, issue some guidance on interest rates um, and incremental borrowing rates in the future. Um, these are all just sort of potential things that are sort of very specific, um, not critical for having in the implementation guidance that's out right now, but they're still important enough that we might have to tie some loosens on those um, closer to fiscal year 2024. But in the meantime, we think that the implementation guidance that we have um, should be good enough for we get people started. And, and then we'll we'll potentially issue some more narrow, uh, narrow updates later on. So it's always a good idea to keep to keep monitoring. And, th and then that goes back to the public comments, too. Like, if you think we're missing something in the, in the implementation guide, it's pretty much anything is fair game to comment on. You know, we we show our work at FaceAB, and you, all you have to do is basically read the exposure draft. And if, if you really want to see something in there, you, you basically just need to state a compelling case. Um, and staff will work to see if we can introduce that into the implementation guidance or do some other type of step that's appropriate to uh, to to clarify whatever needs to be clarified. So, And then, yeah, this year 2024 is the date of implementation. So it seems like it's a little ways away now, but it'll be here, it'll be here before you know it. So. Yeah, and Christy, you get the last word here. Again, maybe from an agency perspective, you know, the start reading the implementation guidance, give me your comments. But, uh, you know, again, what are some immediate next steps that you recommend for agencies to get going? Sure. And I just want to encourage everyone. I know this is, can, can be very overwhelming. It's a huge chain, a lot of moving parts. It's very complex. Um, but I would like to encourage you. It's, we do have three years for implementation. And if you haven't started preparing yet, today is the perfect day to start. <laughs> so. I would really encourage each agency to at least delegate a person or two, if not a task force, you know, whatever they need due to their portfolio, to look at this um, and start that start that now. You know, get at least a couple people and develop a project plan for your agency. Break it out into small pieces that are easier to accomplish. You know, what we've given you, it's a lot. You know, if you're, you just feel overwhelmed and already sunk, I just want to encourage you, you do have time to get it all done. You can do this. You know, you can you can break it up and you can do it. Break it up into small pieces. Look at, you know, develop a plan and a timeline for yourself and what you need. And then start looking one piece at a time. You know, take it bit by bit. And um, that will get you very well positioned to be able to implement it successfully in FY24. Um, and as always, if you have questions, you know, Alan and I are here to help. And, you know, we will read your comment letters and go through that. But we can also answer questions offline um, if you just need some direction for any particular issue. So we'd like to encourage yeah, and my, you to um, <laughs> Yeah, ahead, my, my, contact, my, my contact information and the rest of the FaceTab staff's contact information is all available at facefab.gov. I think you just click, like, the About tab, and then there's a list of staff members that you can click on. Um, and as well as the uh, implementation guidance exposure draft. So that's all on facefab.gov. You can go to the project page and learn a little bit more about sort of the history behind the projects and the deliberations up till this point. Um, so it's sort of your one-stop shop, and um, we're always happy to take questions and, um, and technical inquiries and things like that. Um, so, yeah, feel free. 
And um, it's a little bit late to join the task force now, but if your agency is like not participating on the task force at all, or, for example, um, and you want to have some representation or at least somebody to listen in to see what's going on, we, we'll pretty much take anybody on the task force. We have like 105 people on the task force now. Um, so it, what's the no, another one or two people, right? <laughs> we can go up to 107 or 110 or 120. You know, again, my contact information is up there. And, um, you know, feel free to shoot me an email. If you, uh, I would definitely say that every agency, um, especially every CFO Act agency, should be represented on the task force. But we can't really, you know, twist everybody's arm and make them join. So we have a majority of the CFO Act agencies on the task force now. But um, the task force will be meeting um, one or two more times. And if you all would like to join that, um, we would certainly welcome that. Um, so um, feel free to reach out to me to do that. Okay. Well, Alan and Christy, I really appreciate you, uh, you joining us today. And this was a fascinating subject and a lot of work to come in the next few years. So again, thanks again for joining us today. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. AGACGFM.org. You know where to go. And wherever you get your podcasts is where you'll get this one. I have a few more coming up before the uh, end of the calendar year here, before we get into holiday season. So enjoy those and uh, until next time this is Paul Marshall signing off for accountability talks with AGA